Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Be very specific. Be honest. Um, find the through lines. Um, and talk, again, talk like yourself. Talk in colloquial terms. You know, when people say, well, maybe you should try to reach more white people and I'm like but there's um, stuff for them so I don't have to do that and also also they're welcome they're welcome to be here and I think we get some of the best love letters from like being like I'm just a person in Idaho trying to stay woke and I'm like you know and I love that that person is there That's Rebecca Lair, co-host and co-creator of the podcast Mashup Americans. It's a show dedicated to explaining the intricacies of the multicultural experience in America. I'm Sarah Gonzalez, and this is Work It! The Podcast, a compilation of some of the best moments from our live event. As a radio reporter, I can tell you connecting with our audiences, that's our goal. In this conversation, we talk about how to find your audience— keep them and not alienate them. Rebecca was joined on stage by me, Ashley Alvarado of KPCC, and Christina Rents from the indie label Merge Records. Hi, everyone. All right. So our panel is how to hook, find, hook, and bedazzle your audience. And the goal of this panel is uh, really to show you how to build an audience. Um, because you might have the best podcast or the best episode or that perfect radio audio moment. Uh, but if nobody knows how to find you or if nobody, people don't stick around long enough to get to that really good stuff, then all of your hard work is just sitting online, uh, not being listened to. I'm Sarah Gonzalez. I'm a reporter at WNYC in New York City, and our panelists up here today know all about how to find and develop audiences and keep them coming back, including when you don't have any money to spend on ads, and they're going to share all their tips with us. To start us off, I will just admit that uh, I don't think the podcasting world has done a very good job of attracting me. Um, I think that... Uh, I think that part of it is definitely because I don't hear from enough people who look like me or my family, or I don't hear the issues or people talked about in a way that makes me want to keep listening. Um, I am a news person. I work at a place where I am surrounded by podcasts. I appreciate uh, good radio and good podcasts and production value and good storytelling. And even though I think that there are funny and entertaining and smart podcasts out there that are made by women, um, when it comes to the people who are telling other people's stories, which I as a reporter care about, um, I feel like men are the ones that get to tell other people's stories, uh, usually white men or, or white women. Um, and even a lot of the podcasts that have diverse hosts, um, have teams behind them that are not diverse at all, and I feel like I can hear it. Um, so that is my frustration with the podcasting world, but also, <laughs> uh, but also the podcasts, podcasts don't find me. Like They don't reach me in my world, in my circles, in my friend groups. I'm not discovering a lot of the really good podcasts that are out there, and that's one of the biggest challenges uh, with the podcasting world is just discovery, like finding out the new podcasts. But our panelists have done a remarkably impressive job at finding new audiences and maintaining relevance when there's so much competing for our ears. So Ashley Alvarado over there is the manager and public engagement, uh, manager of public engagement at the public radio station KPCC here in Los Angeles. 
And, and KPCC <laughs> has worked really hard to grow their Latino audience, and they did it. So uh, Rebecca Lair is co-host and co-creator of the podcast called The Mashup Americans. The Mashup Americans is a media company dealing with race, identity, and culture, and what it means to be American today. And Rebecca was previously the director of public of business development at New York Public Radio, where I met. And in the middle, we have Christina Renz. She is the label manager and director of publicity at an indie music label called Merge Records. And they have done a really great job of competing with the big music labels and maintaining relevance. And for those of you who, like me, might not immediately see the connection between the podcasting world and the music industry, um, I learned from Christina that there are actually a lot of overlaps and we share a lot of the same challenges when it comes to like having a complicated distribution, uh, for example. Um, so Christina, just to start us off, why don't you just draw that connection for us about how the music industry and the podcasting world can learn from each other? Hi. Um, well, I'm really excited to be here um, and obviously really good at talking myself into rooms like this, um, despite it, it does seem a little weird. But we, as an, as an independent record label, we have a lot of the same challenges with limited resources, but we also have a ton of passionate fans who want to help us build communities. And I think podcasting does a really good job. I mean, I know you're talking about the challenges of diversity, but I don't. I think that podcasting does a really good job of amplifying um, and reaching underrepresented audiences. And independent record labels, we struggle with that. So, um, but I think the the number one thing we're all trying to do is get invited into your ears. So that's the main thing we have in common. Um, and before we let people into our ears, I guess um, <laughs> we need to know uh, who. Before we get our audience to trust us, we need to know who our audience is, um, and make sure that we're giving them what they're coming to us for. And so, the first step to growing your audience is really knowing who your audience is and where to find them. So Rebecca and the Mashup Americans know very well who their audience is. Rebecca says it's 25 to 40-year-old women who are mashups. So Rebecca, why don't you give us some examples of how knowing your, who your audience is impacts how you write your show and what information you give them and how you interact with them. Right, so just to be clear, I fall in that, uh, that range of mashup women. Um, so basically, uh, me and my co-host Amy Choi, who's a Korean-American woman in her 30s, I won't say exactly where in her 30s, uh, and I am a Salvadoran Jewish-American also in my 30s, um, and we are the audience, so we know who we are, we talk like ourselves, we, we, um, we kind of, it informs what we care about, what the questions we ask, who we have on as guests, um, and, and what we assume that people know. And I think that people appreciate that we um, kind of assume sort of a shared culture um, or a shared curiosity, at least. We also mix high and low because that's who we all are. Um, we, you know, we care about academic things. We care about the news. We also care about, you know, gossip and Hollywood and, and, and all sorts of other silly things and, and we are capable of being whole and being able to hold all of those things. So I think that's the critical piece is speaking like ourselves. Like we, we don't have to pretend or put on voices. Actually just for this week we were doing something too scripted and we were like, Get, no, gotta go. Like we don't, we just don't sound like, our, we just, we sound like the fake version or somebody programmed us. 
And one of the things you also do is cross promotion and work, like you support other podcasts, right? I think you have a story. Oh yeah, about- so we have. I mean, I think there's a lot of this, which is the critical piece, and I, I think that's a lot of the relationship. Uh, I know that. Um, a, a few of you who work at WNYC, that's sort of the origin of WNYC Studios is kind of the independent lab, uh, record label model and thinking about how do you connect the dots, how are you the curator, and how do you think about how um, um, what you're doing relates to other people. It's a small world and we can all support each other and we're all women and we should all raise each other up. So let's say another round, which I'm sure you guys are all huge fans of and I hopefully are seeing tonight here live. Um, They had on Lin-Manuel Miranda and this was last year and they talked about, um, he talked about his favorite movie being La Bamba and I was listening to it and I'm like, obviously, that's my favorite movie, and Lou Diamond Phillips won the uh, mashup Oscar award from us for Lifetime Achievement. Also, <laughs> FYI, he's not Latino, which is another thing I want to talk about with all of you later, but he won honorary <laughs> Latino from us. Um, so uh, he's the best, and so I was listening, and I was like, I was surprised that Tracy and Heaven didn't call that out, but I also made sense. And so I just tweeted at, we just tweeted at them because we understood A, our audiences have overlap, B, um, wow, I bet you Lin-Manuel and Lou Diamond Phillips would have something. And then this sort of tweet love fest started. And I think that was just like knowing that we could curate and be related and it's all connected in felt really important. And then I I don't know if you can read it. I probably could. I can't read it from there. (laughs) But uh, essentially they were like, we need each other. Oh my God, you opened the door and I'm here and we're here together. And it just felt like there's an opportunity to raise each other up and understand who else is out there. And it's not just piggybacking, but it's a supporting each other as well. Okay. And Ashley, as someone who is in public radio, how do you reach audiences with little to no money? <laughs> um, Sorry. It's very much the case. <laughs> and I would say that I... I spend as little time as possible behind a microphone or on stage, especially with my lovely cold right now. Um, but I am very much a believer in engagement outside of our building, which requires engagement inside our building. So one of the things that I did, because community and audience are not necessarily the same thing, it's really important to remember that, is I spend a lot of time going into community. I worked with our underwriting team, for example, to start a series called Feeding the Conversation. And that's where we're working with community members, people that were already sort of inside of our engagement network, to invite folks in and just have our journalists listen and get to know what are those things going on and, and, and building interest and investment that way. We paired one with a, so we did this listening session and, and conversation with community members and it was so great because people were like, okay, you, you care as much about what we think as you want us to care about what you think. And at one of these, we actually had a gentleman go, okay, I've got my checkbook. Like, who do I write a check to to make sure this podcast happens? Um, and so that that's a critical part of it. And then you know, when it, when it comes to engagement generally, building audience, building loyalty, I always talk about being in the preferred physical space, um, the preferred platform for social media or live, whatever, um, and the preferred language. And that could mean that you're just being yourself. It could mean that sometimes you have to go into a different spoken language. Um, and and that's, that can be free or really expensive, but it could be free. <laughs> And you're, so you're going to them when you say you talk about being in the physical space with them. Oh, yeah. I mean, you need to, we need to get over ourselves and go to where the people we're trying to engage are. Okay. Um, Christina, you used to be in commercial radio, and you told me that 
commercial radio markets to women in really gross ways and that there is really no great, great way to reach women. So how and where do you reach women? I got out of commercial radio really quickly, mm-hmm. just, just to be clear. Um, we struggle with that a lot. I, you ladies are hard to find, and, and I feel like, as a lady, I'm like, where am I? <laughs> like, why, why is it so hard to reach me? Um, a lot of it is, uh, you know, we do well with non-commercial radio or like a triple A format, and that is traditionally male-dominated music-wise. Um, so one thing we've been trying to do is just sign more women, get more women artists, and find out where their audience is and try to try to be there. Um, we have some odd challenges with that sometimes. Um, we had an artist get uh, like hot new artists in Entertainment Weekly, and Entertainment Weekly makes you say how old you are. And she was so stressed out because she was 44 and she was worried that they would kill the story. Um, we had another artist, Waxahachie, um, who you guys may have heard of. She's um, Katie Crutchfield. And Lena Dunham asked her to go on this Lenny tour that was like four dates, and they were going to give all the proceeds to local um, LGBTQ uh, charities. And her Facebook exploded with people just like tearing her apart. And there were men tearing her apart over this. And, and everybody was coming from a good place, but it's just like people have these really <coughs> polarizing views of what women can be. And um, so it's, it's really hard to put yourself out there when that's going to happen to you, you know. Um, you, you did have, uh, you t- told me about a successful event you had with a group called Lamb Chop. Yeah, Lamb Chop. that, so, so the, the, the point of that, of the Lamb Chop story was more about, like, um, like you were saying about, like, being in the space where w- engaging with people directly and being ready for magic to happen. And I think we have uh, a festival where we throw ourselves a party every five years for our birthday. And at our 20th birthday, um, a band that we'd been working with for 20 years um, just were the most impressed. They just had this amazing show. And we were all in the room when this like magic happened and we were recording it. And so instead of being like, wow, you had to be one of the 500 people in this room, we released it, and it really it started a renaissance in this band's career after 20 years, which is really hard to do. And I think you you have to be willing to jump on moments like that and um, be aware that magic happens in the room, and just be ready to um, to to jump all over it and 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 advance your audience that way. Okay. Uh, examples of successes are great, but we also want to share some less successful attempts at bedazzling your audience. And Rebecca is going to share a story with us about a podcast moment that maybe didn't bedazzle as much as it could have. Um, Rebecca, we're going to play the clip, but set it up Wait, for us. Wait, to be fair, <laughs> I have a lot of failed moments. I actually don't think this is a failure. I just think that um, we, you'll see, you know, the the... Basically, our first episode was about the mashup life of Donald Trump. And this was in November of 2015. Needless to say, we thought it would be outdated by the time it came out, and we were wrong, sadly. So um, uh, we talked to his uh, biographer um, about, and he told us about that his, his immigrant, their name, their immigrant name was Drump. So I guess we can play it and I can tell you a little bit about what I learned from this. Right. So this is how Mashup Americans revealed Trump's name before, or his family's original name before <laughs> any of us had really heard it. This was a dream of a young man who came to America and found opportunity and didn't become a U.S. citizen until he returned to Seattle and 
I found his citizenship papers, and at the time his name was not Trump, but Drumpf. Drumpf. D-R-U-M-P-F. And, you know, gradually the letters of the name changed and they became Trump. And there's an immigration um, ethnicity story. So I think there are definitely, like, good instincts there. You hear the host step in, repeat the name Trump in, like, they, she says it slowly in this kind of weird way so it sticks out <laughs> to us. It's the first time we're hearing it, yeah. uh, which is great. That's but, how you handle it. But then this is how John Oliver told that which, same story months later. <laughs> it was months later, but pretty sure you learned about Trump from him and not from me. That's the failure. Trump does sound rich. It's almost onomatopoeic. Trump. It's the sound produced when a mouthy servant is slapped across the face with a wad of thousand-dollar bills. Trump! It's the sound of a cork popping on a couple's champagne anniversary. The date's renovations in the wine cellar were finally completed. The very name Trump is the cornerstone of his brand. If only there were a way to uncouple that magical word from the man he really is. Well, guess what? There is. Because it turns out the name Trump was not always his family's name. One biographer found that a prescient ancestor had changed it from, and this is true, Drumpf. Yes. <laughs> King Drumpf. And Drumpf is much less magical. It's the sound produced when a morbidly obese pigeon flies into the window of the foreclosed Old Navy. Drumpf. It's the sound of a bottle of store brand root beer falling off the shelf in a gas station mini-mart. And it may seem weird to bring up his ancestral name, but to quote Donald Trump, he should be proud of his heritage. Because Trump is much more reflective of who he actually is. Okay. So, um, I mean, a lot of the same techniques here, though. Yeah, uh-huh. Where you're talking about the way... <laughs> where you're talking... You, there, there's moments where you're talking about how the word drunk yeah. sounds. Yeah, we're talking about his immigrant heritage, what it means, why he can't have any empathy and has no soul. Um, you know, but the problem is... Yeah, I think it is hard to understand the contextually and then you watch this happen and we can the 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 plus side is we know we're uh, have our finger on the pulse of something good the downside is does it matter if nobody knew that you did it right um so that happens a lot right we'll have a really great idea and we will go ahead with it and then we watch somebody do it really successfully four to six months later. Um, so, I mean, there's one part which is like, yes, we know we are ahead of the curve, and the other part is maybe we're not doing it right. I mean, it's true, though, that the people who did listen to your podcast was like, oh, we, they did it first, exactly. and we know this. Those people who listened to the first podcast did know first. So <laughs> I, rec I recommend you all subscribe to my podcast, and you'll know something first. <laughs> But the point is, is that I imagine it sets, you know, it makes you more credit. Like, they're like, oh, wow, they did this thing, and that's a way to grow your audience. I think that's also. true. I hope that that's true. And you talk about um, creating this, like, shared language with your audience and creating these moments yeah. where you're all sort of in on the same thing together. I think, yeah, and, I, you know, one of the things, so we had a lexicographer on, Corey Stamper, who's awesome. My dad pointed out she was on Terry Gross five months after she was on our show, so. Um, Terry Gross is also biting my style. Um, but she, um, she talked about, actually, I mean, I think a lot of mashups are actually at the center, at the beginning of culture anyways, right? So um, she talked about how new language being put into dictionaries 
is actually so often mostly from gay culture or black youth culture, right? So I, 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 we've been talking to Tobin Lowe at, um, at uh, Nancy about like, should maybe he, he could just tell us what he's doing now so that when we all copy it in six months, mm -hmm. um, we'll be ahead of the curve. And I think so there's this idea of what we're doing and creating a community and knowing that we're in it together, you know, a common language, a, you know, this idea of, of authenticity of voice. I mean, we've been defining a demographic in a lot of ways and curating and sharing and that helps people feel heard and seen and also like even our non-mashups who listen feel like they're in on something so yeah right and uh, KPCC has done a really good job of trying to sound like Los Angeles um, like the Los Angeles community and now more Latinos are listening to you um, Ashley will you tell us how you did it and why it was worth it. Why should others try to do what you did? I like the way you asked that because it sounds like I did it. <laughs> um, so I would say that we have, we have a board, we have a president who really sees as part of our mission that we are, we're serving Southern California and that the best, most effective way to do that is to reflect Southern California and that starts with staffing. And we, so we received a grant several years ago from CPB to hire more and more diverse talent and to also shape a show that was meant to reflect and to attract a multi-ethnic audience. Um, when you, my watch just keeps ringing, so I'm so sorry. Um, but when you're doing that, you know, it, it, it means going outside of that, that norm and just being willing to go there. But it's very much a work in progress. It's, it's about hiring diverse talent, investing in diverse talent, promoting them, um, and then also listening and being, act you know, there's, there's this idea that I, I try to put out there that listening is our superpower. So at KPCC, some of the ways that we do that are through Harkin, through GroundSource, through the Public Insight Network, and then just going out of our way to, again, be where people are. And um, we, you hold uh, an event <laughs> called Unheard LA, and we're going to listen to a clip of it. Um, and this is one of the ways that, that they connect with their audience and go out and embed themselves. What's up, LA? I'm Bruce Lemon, host of Unheard LA, KPCC in person's new community-driven storytelling series. Raised by blacks, schooled by whites. My mama was adopted, so I never felt right in my own skin. We are not from the preconceived notions of where you think we are from. We have two more live shows this Sunday in downtown LA. It's already full, so join us for the live video stream. And RSVP for our last show on May 13th out in Hollywood, kpcc.org slash unheardla. So tell us a little bit about Unheard LA. So Unheard LA, I'm wearing a tattoo because I couldn't get it off my arm. That is from Unheard LA. It's a live storytelling series that we launched this spring and it's completely community driven. We did everything we could again to be outside of our building. We were in public, all of the branches of the LA Public Library. Um, we were in, in different spaces saying, hey, share your story, whatever your story is, whatever platform your story's in, um, and we'll work with you. And we partnered with Bruce Lemon, who is an actor, theater director, um, active in South LA, and we put together these three live shows throughout um, the area. And it was just incredibly powerful because, again, we got out of, we got out of our way and we had people talking about living in Southern California with mental illness, being a 14-year-old who can't stand social media, um, what it's like to, to, you know, we heard Jonathan Rios there talking about what it's like 
to be raised in one community with another community and, and trying to sort of navigate all of that. Um, one of the things that we had talked about in our email exchanges is this, when, when you get down to it, people, like if, if you're at a party and your picture's taken and your picture's put up on social media or it's put in a magazine, you want to pick it up because you're suddenly seeing your, yourself somewhere you weren't before. Um, and so the more that we can do that in, in our podcasts or on our air, the more you're going to get that investment. And, and I don't just mean actual party picture photos, but reflecting people. Um, so one of the things that I'm proudest of with the Unheard LA series is that more than 80% of the people who RSVP'd had never RSVP'd to a KPCC event before. And that we do a lot of events, so, so that was a really cool metric for us to have. Great. Um, Christina, Merge has been around for a while, and you um, have stayed sort of a fringe record label forever when the indie scene can kind of, it sort of like dies off and comes back in different forms. Um, so how have you done that? How have you maintained relevance and kept people interested in what you have to say? Well, we're an artist-run label, and the basic philosophy is just working with artists and music that we love. And so if you, if you take that and you just run it through every single communication, whether it's an email to a mail order customer or a tweet or whatever, we joke all the time that we're merged the label that hugs <laughs> because you have like some labels are mean or funny or, and we just, we're not good at any of that. We're good at hugs. Um, hugs? Hugs. Yeah. So, um, I think that staying really consistent with that message and also, um, just understanding that sometimes staying who you are means you're not going to win everything. You're going to have a, an artist that outgrows you and leaves, and you have to be okay with that, even though it sucks. And you're going to also get to, um, by, by staying true to who you are, you will um, advance in that people are going to want to work with you, and they're going to stay with you because, you know, we're honest and, and we tell them, tell the artists who, you know, who we are, but also act more as a team member than a person that's like their boss or, you know, certainly we don't have giant budgets or, you know, stripper parties or anything like that. <laughs> um, so I think um, we've really lately, you know, as media has gotten really complicated and everybody's pivoting to video, um, have just doubled down on, on, on merge and who we are and being artist-friendly and being the label that, that you're going to get a direct email from. And um, so we're making fancier newsletters and we're um, trying to do social media contests more and trying to be present in independent record stores because that's still, that's still base camp one for um, our artists and, and the, at the level that we're able to so More to work going at. to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Exactly. More um, going to them. Right. Um, <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about growing diverse audiences with you, Rebecca. Um, I think a lot of people are trying to reach new and younger and more diverse audiences um, and make content directly for them, like Rebecca is doing. Um, do you think that this is happening in the right way? Um, so the first thing that I'd say is uh, uh, one of the things that I, I we had Soledad O'Brien on the show. <laughs> And she is brilliant. And um, she talked about this idea of being in a room and everyone's talking about Latino USA, Latino, oh, they, they, they. Mm -hmm. And she's like, they is me. So like, who in the room, is it all they's? It's like, if you don't have anyone who can say us, me, like, w we, we have a problem, Ashley just had 
a similar experience where someone said, you know, this sort of <laughs> columbusing of things, right? Like, we just discovered chopsticks. That really just happened on the internet recently. And I was like, they're a life hacked. You can use them for cooking. You're like, oh, what? Uh, there are a billion people in just China who use, you didn't just, no. So anyways, the idea is like, who is in the, room with, in the room with you, I think is important. So again, this idea of who we are, that's been a really critical piece, is we're representing ourselves, but also thinking, being super intentional about the guests and the voices. Like, our affirmative action campaign this season is like actually age and accented voices. Like, that's what our parents sound like, that's what our grandparents sound like. And so, like, why don't we have them on more? I mean, I just, it's, it's, it doesn't make sense and it doesn't look like our lives, right? And I think we're so, we're all so happy when we actually see it. Look, those people are going to subscribe. So, like, uh, you know, our master of none, you get to see Aziz's parents. Like, that, of course, we're so thrilled because those are our parents. And so, so I think that's part of what it is, 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 is thinking about what's missing from your own story to see reflected, like why you, Sarah, aren't feeling like you hear yourself or the things that you care about, or you're like being a sold a version of yourself that you're not actually that interested in. Like that's how I feel about anthropology sometimes. I'm like, don't sell me myself. Uh, but uh, so I think they're just th assume people are curious that they want to be there. Be very specific. Be honest. Um, find the through lines um, and talk again. Talk like yourself. Talk in colloquial terms. Uh, that. That, I don't know if that's answering the questions, but that's sort of what I've, I've learned about this. I can't, you know, when people say, well, maybe you should try to reach more white people, and I'm like, but there's um, stuff for them. So I don't have to do that. And also, also, they're welcome. They're welcome to be here. And I think we get some of the best love letters from like being like, I'm just a person in Idaho trying to stay woke. And I'm like, <laughs> You know, and I love that that person is there, and they're like sending me pictures of the bibimbap because they like found a Korean restaurant in Boise, and I'm like, that is so nice and awesome, and you are welcome, and we love it, and we'll talk about it, but we are telling our stories. Yeah, um, and now, yeah. And before we wrap up, quickly, we have a minute left. I want to get to how we define success. Hmm. Downloads don't always matter, but the reality is that they do kind of matter. So um, maybe, Rebecca, can you just tell us, like, I don't know if you want to share what some of your early downloads or clicks were, or how they, or how would you define success if you're uh, starting yeah. out? Well, like, let's just say our first, yeah, sure. Our first episode had, like, 10,000 downloads, which actually, to be honest, I might, the first five months we had our website, we had like 300 people on it. And it was mostly me because I didn't know how to filter out my own <laughs> IP address. So, um, you know, th and those are still big numbers. Actually, I know relative to myself and it's grown, 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 grown. But um, I would say like my questions for you would be like, what does, what kind of engagement do you have? How are the people who are listening engaging? You know, I know Too Beautiful to Live is a show that American Public Media also produces. They put something out every day. They don't have a ton of listeners, but they have deeply engaged listeners who will give money, who, who care deeply about them. So, and they're, and they're focused. They can be high focused. And my other question is, do you need to be financially um, sustainable because you might not meet I mean we all do in our lives but this may not be the place that you're doing that you know um, 
is this marketing for the rest of your company or your brand? Is this content marketing? That relieves some of the pressure of trying to figure out if you need to reach you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of people in order to make money on it. But Or can you join a network to you know, leverage the, the scale of, of many other shows? I mean, I think it's really something, we're all in this together and there's still so much opportunity to grow that you should be on each other's shows. How are you being mentioned? Who's talking about you? and having other people on your show within this world. And then finally, you know, thinking about how often are people listening? Again, is another measure of engagement. What do people uh, care about? And obviously downloads are great, but ultimately that's, a, that's actually like everything about whether then you're selling ads on it. And if you're not doing that, there's other ways to engage. Look Sorry. at that. We're at exactly zero. Sorry. You know how to I talked a lot. <laughs> um, all right. So that's all for our panel. Thanks to our panelists. That was Rebecca Lair, Ashley Alvarado, Christina Rents, and me. Both the festival and the podcast are produced by WNYC Studios and are made possible by a grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with additional support from the Annenberg Foundation. Event sponsors include Cole Hahn, Mac Cosmetics, and thirdlove.com. <laughs>